Welcome back, folks. It's the Ballistic Strength Radio podcast. I'm your host, Solomon Macy's, the coach and owner of the Nanaimo Kettlebell Club, run out of my gym, uh, my company, Ballistic Strength Nanaimo, um, here in the coastal town of Nanaimo, <laughs> <laughs> British Columbia, Canada. Um, and it, what's the population here? I actually don't know. Should I look it up? <laughs> well, it was similar to 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 another place that we know because we always compare it, don't we? Isn't it well, like I uh, always compare it to Belleville? Isn't it like St. Thomas size? Oh, okay, yeah, it's probably eighty thousand, I think. Nanaimo population, which that would be more like Belleville because I think St. Thomas is like thirty, thirty-five. Well, Belleville's sign is old, and it still says I think thirty-six thousand, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, Forty thousand. Here? Wait, no, 155,000. No. Yeah. Really? That includes the regional district. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, then. Um, yeah, so, you know, we run a, a business outside of a relatively smaller community. Um, it's definitely well spread out. Um, and I would have to say that... Um, I mean, obviously, if you're in a, a large uh, metropolitan uh, type city, that uh, the the population density is going to help businesses such as personal training businesses um, thrive a bit better. Uh, and I would say that on top of that, you know, in British Columbia in general, I, th- I would have to say partially, you know, my own uh, observances and and. Uh, also, you know, kind of how what other people's feelings tend to be on it is that, you know, we live in a community where they're very into outdoor recreation. And I guess you could say that that maybe kind of affects, um, you know, how many clients that uh, that we pull in. Um, Because people out here, there's a lot of people who move out here to do stuff outdoors. And then a lot of the pastimes are outdoors. And, you know, the gym thing is, is, it's, you know, it it fills the same space in your life, I guess. And I think that's where the trouble comes in trying to get uh, consistent repeat clients uh, into our business uh, out here. I would definitely agree. The... When you meet someone in Nanaimo, they usually tell you about how, well, because pe- because we're trainers, people want to tell us what they do physically. So usually they tell us how they either run or they ride. Um, so that is a big thing. The other thing is cycling. All, or sorry, not cycling, hiking. So the other thing to consider is the amount of time. Like people don't hike for a short period of time. They don't run or cycle for a short period of time. The majority of them are doing a long distance. So if they're going to dedicate three or four hours in a day to a training session, if they're a marathoner or a triathlete, or if they're just going for a good hike, they don't want to be spending that time in the gym, and that's kind of where it can be challenging. The nice thing is, though, a lot of them understand cross-training, and a lot of them also hate the rain. So if they're not someone who's willing to venture out in the rain and do their training, they might consider coming into the gym to complement their training or to still get a workout in without having to go out, out into the rain. I feel like long distance sports are more popular out here 
Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, that could just be me, uh, my perception of it. But um, but I'll tell you, if I was a long distance athlete, the last place I would move is British Columbia because because <laughs> everything's a, hilly. Everything's hilly. There's a lot of up and down, a lot of windiness, and. Um, but I think that the trade-off with that is that you get some awesome scenery. So, um, I think that can that. make the run easier. When we first moved here, I off and on since university have ran, but usually my distance is between like five and eight kilometers. I'm not a long distance runner, but the very first day of school, Sully, uh, was going to ride his bike to school and I was going to run alongside him. Well, we didn't realize how many hills are in Nanaimo and that we would just pretty much be going uphill if you're going to the university. We made it halfway and Sully looked at me and was like, go home (laughs) because I was just dying trying to run up this hill. He was having a hard enough time ride his bike for the first time. So it was a little bit of a change. I think my hamstrings were sore for the first month with all the running I got in here. But anywho, yeah, I suppose we should get to um, our point, our, well, our, our topic. Yeah, sure, why not? Um, well, why do you think that um, long distance sports are so popular out here, or why do you think that they thrive? And do you think that um, the type of athlete, you know, quote unquote athlete? I mean, an athlete's uh, anybody who engages in activity. Really, that's just how I feel. I mean, you know, your training's not going to be any different. It's just kind of what level you're at is, is typically going to be the difference, but uh, or at least the big difference, I should say. Um, but what do you think separates, um, you know, is there a difference between those athletes and maybe some of the people who, who we train or that we train? Um, what well, draws them to it? I think One thing is the adrenaline rush, and it's not that you don't get adrenaline rush with weight training. Um, I think, like, sometimes when you start something and you get that adrenaline rush, you just keep at it. Like, it's easy to do the same thing. So if you first got into fitness and you started with running, because most people do start with running because you don't have to pay to go somewhere. You can just go out the door. We think naturally, oh, Um, I see everyone else run, I should be able to run, but running is a skill. Um, So if someone can achieve that high, that runner's high, um, I think it becomes addictive. Um, But people who have done multiple things start to feel it in other things. But you might also... um, prefer one type of physical high versus another. Like, I love the adrenaline rush from kettlebells, and I also love the adrenaline rush from uh, figure skating. But when Sully makes me do split jumps for, like, 30 seconds, I'm like, oh, when is this over? This is the worst 30 seconds of my life. But I can swing a kettlebell for 10 minutes. So... It, it's um, if well. So in, in like weight training, it's almost like we're trying to punish ourselves. But <laughs> um, but running is, I, I don't think that. Um, I mean, when I go running, I don't. I mean, I do fit it into my schedule as part of my quote training. But you know, when I'm doing it, I'm not necessarily unless I have like interval sprints or something like that planned out. I'm not doing it. I'm not thinking about it the same way as training as when I might be doing my like intervals or repeats of long cycle i'm just i'm I'm, you know going with the flow i'm trying to find a nice pace and i'm 
and trying um, to be relaxed. Yeah, and, more or less trying to enjoy it. Um, and so I think that that's how most people approach um, general activity. I, I think that especially for the population, you know, maybe we can presume that um, the majority of people aren't necessarily competitive in the sense that we might think of what competition means. Um, and so when they do activity, they're looking for that intrinsic factor. You know, they just want to feel good. Yeah. Whereas when we train, we don't have an intrinsic factor. We're doing it for like a purpose. You know, we're trying to get something out of it. I don't know. I, I, I kind of disagree with that. Like when you move up a bell, you at first are like, why is this so hard? Like I can do 216 kilogram snatches but then you go to the 18 and I can do 130. You're like, why is this so hard? But as you keep working at it, that starts to become like easier and easier and more efficient that um, then you kind of get that comfort. Like I can swing the 12 kilogram bell and just feel cozy and like it's enjoyable. It's like going for a leisurely run. I'm just kind of going with the flow, but I've also had to build that skill set to be able to get there, which is part of probably what deters someone. There's more of a skill set for that than running for some people. Yeah. I think you're supporting what I said. Oh, okay. (laughs) Here's the thing with like intrinsic and extrinsic factors is that whenever there's like a reward, it's extrinsic. You're doing it for a reason. Intrinsic means there's no reason. You just you're just doing it because you're enjoying it in the moment, or you're enjoying yourself in the moment. Right. There's no real target. There's no real goal. There's not even a desire to get better. You're just doing it because it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. And so if if you just want to go into the gym and just um, kind of enjoy yourself and just grab a light kettlebell, where you know that you know doing 15 minutes of just like long light long cycle with the 12 kg isn't going to improve your game you're just doing it because you kind of want to do something that you want to like the rhythm of it yeah and uh and and why not then um, that would be more intrinsic um of course if you're you know doing it for the purpose of burning calories then again it would not be intrinsic anymore right but i would have to say that if it's part of your normal routine that you know you're you're trying to do things like maintain your weight or maintain your fitness and and it's ultimately just a normal part of your routine i think it can be intrinsic in that sense if you're just going to go in there and grab the 12 and you know that you you're just going in there to enjoy yourself but at the same time it's still filling that piece mm-hmm. in your life um do you do you think that it, now i i think it's i love when people go out and do things on their own and and do outdoor recreation and stuff like that <clears throat> we love it. We always comment about how we don't do it enough. Yeah, we don't do it enough. We really don't. We don't. Um, so that's why I don't try to push the training so much if they have something uh, that they do on their own that they enjoy. And I always try to um, promote uh, people doing the things that they enjoy as kind of like the the bulk or at least the mainstay of their regular activity. Um I think I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> you don't force people to do training if they're if they like to well, do outdoors. I mean, if if I feel like they need it, then I'm gonna encourage them to do it. 
Um, well, and we've also had the discussions of like less mileage to wear interior joints and then do strength training and you can do hit training and you can see improvements in your overall performance. Like, um, I repetitively have said to Sully, we don't spend the entire hour, hour and a half just doing kettlebells. He makes us do various kinds of accessory work. We probably spend more time on accessory work than we do on kettlebells. But because of that, I know I've gotten stronger and my cardio has gotten better. Sometimes when I go into a competition, it blows my mind how good I feel but it's because of the way he's done his accessory work and his programming that makes it feel so easy. Like, I'm ready for it. And I don't even realize I'm there, which is super nice. Um, yeah, so the same thing goes for running. If someone thinks that they need to put in 10K every single day, why don't we cut that back a little bit and do some complementary work and then save save your back, your hips, and your knees and, and see what kind of happens there. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's a, a real oversight to um, just think that you can improve just by doing long, repeated long sessions over and over and over again. I, I mean, I guess I'm a bit of a nerd about it now, but you know, if you want to improve your fitness, well, let's just break it down into your different energy systems and see how we can most efficiently improve each one of those. Um, energy systems now depending on your sport you're going to focus more on one over the over the other or what have you but um just doing consistently long distance over and over again um is not really going to be the best use of time because up to a point you know all of your long distance training within you know several kilometers is gonna ultimately have the same effect you need to have sessions where you're working on your pace um doing some uh, sprint sessions and maybe adjusting your mechanics so that you don't get too comfortable in kind of like a really relaxed uh heel heavy pace um you know you need to kind of take that global uh perspective about it and try to in- improve those different parameters because they do all support each other there's that cr- crossover effect that we talk about um with uh well with cross training in general you know you try to improve one parameter to um have a carryover onto another parameter so um i do see that as a weakness in a lot of running programs but um obviously the evolution of of that kind of thing has definitely um I think probably reached its zenith in terms of good programming for running, but I doubt that everyone's really following or being following a really good program or being coached by someone who kind of knows how to adjust for them. And they're, and they're just kind of following a basic template, which is good in the beginning. But, um, as with anything you do, if you're interested in kind of taking yourself to the next level that you start to make some more minor adjustments and, um, really pay attention to the feedback um, and by that, I mean, you know, what are your results telling you? And then how do you uh, make improvements based on those results? With kettlebells, it's not always about the mileage. Sometimes it's about the more qualitative aspects. So uh, for me, uh, specifically with the 28 kg bell, my biggest weakness is my shoulder gets tired from supporting that weight overhead because I'm not used to having uh, that particular weight overhead. Um, for prolonged periods of time. So I 
I have no problem with the grip or swinging it. It's just that holding it overhead gets uncomfortable after a couple minutes. So I work on that stability and just greasing the groove of getting the 28 kg overhead more often so that I feel more comfortable and stabilized under that bell. So stability with me with that in the 28 kg snatch is my is my biggest focus for improvement there. If I do that, then I'm good. Um, but someone else, you know, their cardio might be what's limiting them, right? Uh, especially with beginners. Um, it can kind of go both ways, but... provided that their uh, technique is decent, um, you know, if someone's swinging around the 8kg or the 12kg, stability is probably not their problem. You know, it's just not really heavy enough to have that big of an impact on their stability in like that systemic sense. And that's really how we should think about stabilities in a systemic sense. Um, It's probably going to be their cardio. And obviously a good indication of that is how heavy are they breathing in the warm up, right? So those are the parameters that I would focus on with that individual versus another. Um, Everyone can start off on the same template, but then you need to address those specific kind of issues. So we're going to talk about the in-house? Yeah. um, So as a business owner, but I guess specifically as a gym owner and someone who runs a sports club, Um, there is a necessity to consistently or constantly find ways to, um, well, figure out ways to motivate your club members and also reward them. But I think that whole idea of reward, um, that can come in different ways, right? So I I think that the, the, the best way probably that's going to help them out as well as you is rewarding them with their own, you know, realization of what they're capable of and and their success at doing that. And so with the in-houses, because it's, you know, a laid back experience, I think it's very conducive to that. So what is the in-house? Well, the in-house, it's just a mock competition that we hold at our gym. And it just allows our lifters to lift in a competition format with the essentials, but not necessarily the strict and rigid enforcement of um, all of the rules and other parameters. Learning, learning the ropes, like they get to experience um, having a judge in front of them, having someone physically counting. Because the way we train, we don't count in training. We might count if Sully sets reps up, but beyond that, we're doing more time. We're not really paying attention to how many reps we're doing. So here's a time set. Here you've also got the atmosphere of people watching. Usually when we're trained, everyone's moving together. So you're creating that atmosphere that if that person were to go into competition, these are the things that would happen. And it's good to from a psychological aspect of an athlete, prepare, mentally prepare. If you know what you're going into, you're going to succeed because you can visualize and um, be confident. Okay, I know what it's going to be. This is what's going to happen. This is what I need to do. And you're good. So it's also teaching the clients, like, I need to remember to pack my guards and I need to pack water. I need to be there... 30 minutes in advance because I know I like to warm up for 20 minutes and have 10 minutes to chalk my bell before I get on the platform. Um, And it's also having 
your coach there, having your coach throw cues at you and just seeing how you respond, various aspects of competition that allows our clients to learn what it's like. Um, and everyone did really, really well. Um, everyone got uh, achieved at least rank numbers in at least one of their events. Um, or PR'd. Or PR'd. Some of them repeated things that they've done, but they still yes. have seen improvements. And some people might say, I only improved by like one to three repetitions. That's okay. Like sometimes um, that that's really challenging for um, athletes is they see the person beside them PR'd by 30 reps and this person only PR'd by three reps. One, you don't know how often the other person competed. Maybe the, this is the first time they've been on the platform, but you competed two weeks ago. The difference between the last time you did the event is going to make a difference on how much improvement you have. But also, um, what is affecting you? Is it your cardio that's affecting you? Is it your overhead stability? You're going to see improvements for different reasons. And, you know... Yeah, I think if you know that your technique is shite, then you shouldn't be expecting the moon. Yes. Um, Right? That's one of those things that time will be your best ally there and you need to just practice 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 and and get better i i think at you know at an elite level um that is something that's very fragile is maintaining the acuteness of your technique because it slips if you you know if you don't practice for like a week you notice the difference in the beginning it's not quite as noticeable but also in the beginning and the intermediary stage you're trying a lot of different things as well so it's it's very much a process of learning and discovery at first and trying to figure out what's going to kind of work best for you and it obviously helps to have a coach to help guide you through that process. But um, when you hit that high level, I don't know. I feel like um, it's really easy to doubt yourself even at the high level. Because oh, definitely. Especially if you have that setback, right? Um, now, if you know it's because you haven't been training as consistently as you know you have in uh, competitions past, then obviously that's going to be the first thing that you look at. But if something just goes completely haywire, then it's like... Sometimes you just don't know what to think. I think there it's probably very helpful to have that um, coach to look in and have that second pair of eyes to to help you out with that because uh, sometimes you probably change something and you don't even know it. Um, a really good example is um, Sully and I, we flew out to Moose Jaw um, for a competition. Um, we knew that Nationals was going to be in Moose Jaw last year. So they had a competition in October or something, and we flew out there. And I'm snatching, and I'm about to switch hands, and for some reason I start long cycling. You should have seen the look of horror on my face. And to top it off, someone from the audience was like, she needs to put the bell down. (laughs) And um, luckily, my judge was just like, we're going to let you continue. But your set is technically done because she knew she understood the like, yes, technically it's a stop set, but 
I had a whole arm left. Let's just see what you can do. It's not going to count for your final score, but it did help me mentally. Now, I did struggle for the rest of that competition psychologically. I was supposed to lift the 24 for one arm long cycle, and I was psyching out, and Sully just sat me down, and he's like, do you want to drop down to the 20? Like, what do you think? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And he's like, I think we should drop down to the 20 and you have a fun set. And it was the best thing I could have done because if I had two sets where I went up there and psychologically just was like, ah, I suck. Um, (laughs) it, it probably would have done more damage. And that's one where a coach comes in, but two, like just shit happens. You don't, you can't guarantee that um, every set's going to go perfectly. Like who would have thunk that I would snatch a set and then all of a sudden turn into long cycle. Like my brain just, just it disappeared. And uh, yeah, it was a learning experience on that one. Um, That's uh, also an interesting um, topic is kind of making those last minute changes. Um, Several times I've made some last-minute changes. Usually um, what I'll end up doing is um, scrap my 24 long cycle and go down to 20, Um, typically because um, I will feel like my uh, training leading up to it, um, I haven't been doing it, (laughs) frankly. (laughs) Um, But the interesting thing is, and Rachel mentioned, you know, she just had a fun set and she felt that she got a lot more out of that than trying to struggle through the set that she originally planned on. And I think that's kind of an interesting concept um, because, you know, sometimes things don't always uh, go as well as planned. And and, um, sometimes, you know, when uh, when you're in that position, you know, you can turn turn a uh, uh, shit sandwich into a glass of lemonade. Is that how the phrase goes? (laughs) I've never heard that phrase, so I can't comment. (laughs) Um, So there were times that if I went up uh, to do 24 uh, kilogram long cycle, I probably would have fell far below my expectations, probably somewhere like 50 to 60 repetitions, which for me, I'm just not happy with. Um, Because also if I have to set it down at 50 to 60 repetitions, I'm probably not even making it to the end of the 10 minutes and uh, it probably just feels like crap all the way through. But if I feel good, then there's no reason I, I, I shouldn't be hitting about 70. Um, my best uh, in competition was 79. That was in Seattle. And that felt like a really good set. Now, what I've noticed, though, is that when I have dropped down and tr- making that decision is not always an easy one. And sometimes you feel a little bit of guilt, a little bit of shame, a little bit of... Um, doubt uh and as an athlete you know you're going to be your hardest critic and um and and it's not a super great feeling at the time however um when i dropped down to 20s in seattle for the northwest kettlebell competition ikff uh i did i'm i'm it was like somewhere between 95 to 99 reps with the 20s it was one of the best sets that uh, I ever had, um, and and I think that that might now I know that in um, September 
last year for our grip strength competition i did the 20s as well and i hit over 90 with that i think i got like 96 or 95 or something and that may have been the first time that i did over 90 with the with the 20s um i haven't really done many long sets with the 20s once i moved to the 24s so that was just like wow that was really awesome and so i think my uh set in Seattle came after that with the 20s where I got over 90 again and I decided on that day that I dropped down at grip strength I knew I was just going to do the 20s because um we had too much going on (laughs) too much going on and um I committed to doing the 28 uh to lift beside Todd because uh, he was doing his 28 kg snatch. I was like, well, I can't let him lift 28 by himself. And that was completely on a lark. And that was by far my best set. And I did have a lot to do with um, Todd lifting right beside there beside you. me. Yeah. Um, so uh, this uh, at our in-house, um, you know, I could have done the 24s. But, you know, looking back, I did not perform the way I wanted to um Initially in February at Jody Boat's competition, uh, I I returned to my biathlon roots and tried uh, 24 kg um, my jerk set. It was not great. I think I did like 39. Um, even in Dublin in 2015, I did better than that. It felt a lot worse. But um, uh, I have some issues in the overhead with jerk. Uh, my, my, just the constant stretching on my shoulders. Um, I can't reset it with the clean and long cycle. I can reset everything and reposition and I can keep going. Um, so jerk is really hard for me. Uh, and then, so I did jerk, I did snatch, and then I jumped in on long cycle at the end and I did something like 50 or something like that. And so I was not feeling great about that competition. And then our last one that we went to the OKC, um that one did not feel great either and i set him down early right yeah yeah i set him down early i did like 62 or 61 or something um and i was definitely not happy with that and i did feel kind of embarrassed so leading into the in-house uh you know i didn't want to do that and i knew that i had some practice to to get in to feel better under the 24s so i dropped the 24s i went with 20s and that set felt like Going into that, I was already tired from doing that 24 kg snatch. And I was like, I don't know how my biceps are going to hold out because sometimes that's a factor for my long cycles is at the end of the set, my biceps start to really get fatigued. Um, And that just goes to show how crappy my cleans are. (laughs) Uh, But it was awesome. And I did like 96. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it it was something like 96. And it just felt really, really good. And I was really happy with that. And I knew that, you know... I may not be where I want to be with the 24s, but I'm as high as I've ever been with the 20s um, historically. So that um, has been helping me out. And I kind of just want to really work the 20s um, right now just because of how good that felt. So coming back around to... um, I'll stop talking about me for a second. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and come back around to that in-house. You know, we're always trying to figure out ways to reward um, our, our clients and give them motivation. And originally I had planned to do in-houses every four months, but it just kind of seemed a bit long. Even for me, um, 
because we, we still go to the competitions and stuff. That's the challenge is like some of our athletes do compete. The majority of our athletes don't compete and travel. Like um, if there's one in Victoria, well, there will be one at Carissa's in October. Probably will have a little bit more of numbers. But uh, for people to go over to Vancouver or Seattle, depending on their situation, whether they have kids or whatever, work, um, they can or cannot go. So um, having something local for those people who can't make it out to those is super important. We want to involve them just as much. So we want to have something for those clients. Um, It's also... Um, we need to kind of build the local awareness of kettlebells and build up our kettlebell community. And this is one way to do it because people can come watch. My neighbor was absolutely hilarious. She um, asked us what was going on and she was like, kind of walking, looking out her window, she said, and she was, oh, that person lifts kettlebells. Oh, look at that person. She was noticing the different body types. And then she got super excited because Panago Pizza also sponsored us again. <laughs> and she was like, they even get pizza. So I was like, see, you should have actually That's, came into the gym and watched. Isn't that like the classic kind of cliche um, t- sports team celebration pizza, pizza. party? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, huge shout-out to Panago because the Panago location in the north, they are huge supporters of us, so we are huge supporters of them. So if you're buying pizza and you're in Nanaimo, go to the north end and get it from Panago Pizza. It's a really good pizza. It is. Um, And, uh, okay, so... um, So uh, trying to figure out these things for motivation. Now, obviously... You know, people are going to be different, and we're always trying to kind of nudge those forward, the ones who are a little more apprehensive, um, while at the same time trying to make sure that the ones who are um, a little bit more bold don't kind of overstep their own abilities. And um, I think the in-houses are a good way of addressing those things because there are certain things that you can get away with in training with the shorter sets that don't become as apparent when you do, um, or that become, you know, issues that become more apparent when you do the longer sets where you're only allowed one hand switch and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, um, obviously we don't, you know, try to let people get in the habit of comparing themselves to others, but, um, every now and then you do have to compare yourself to others because it gives you perspective. It lets right? you know where you sit. Like, am I a competitive person? Like, competitive as in, do my numbers compete with what's out there? At the very least, it gives you an idea of of where the ceiling is, yes. right? I think about all those times when, you know, I heard uh, uh, Louis Simmons talking about um, the numbers in his gym kind of increasing, 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 you know, bef- you know it took... You know, no one had an 800-pound squat until one guy finally did his 800-pound squat. And then, you know, a month later, they had like four guys with an 800-pound squat type thing. You know, when you see what people are capable of, that helps to um, that helps you to move forward or it helps you to kind of uh, uh, maybe summon up some um, motivation or effort that Maybe you weren't previously uh, allowing yourself to to um, to do. Um, 
Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Well, because uh, I, I could imagine it being sometimes it's a case of you're literally just not trying as hard as you could be in practice. And then once you see like one thing is you're capable of doing that, then you try to push a little bit harder and you want to catch up Yeah. because you definitely don't want to fall behind. If I think at the very least people don't want to fall behind, maybe they don't want to be at the head of the pack, but they don't want to fall behind. I think that's something that's pretty universal. Yeah. Like one, one thing I noticed, okay, so we competed in Ireland Dublin 2015 and there was a bunch of us girls who competed with the 16 um everyone once we were back was like we're all going to the 20s and Sully was like you're not going to the 20 you're sticking to the 16 your goal is to hit 200 and for a while I felt like I was up on the platform by myself because I was still lifting the 16 because I needed to hit the ceiling with it um but then I think other people started to realize, you know, just because I competed at a, an international competition doesn't mean that I move on, that I need to come back and I need to improve those numbers. So I would say in the last year, I've noticed it's a little bit more competitive with the 16 and there's a lot of women out there trying to hit that 200 mark. Um, and I think I think that was good. Like, because one, it gave us competition. It gave us somebody to compete against. But two, everyone knew where the ceiling was. They knew where to aim. Where before, I think part of the reason people moved on to the 20s was that they didn't know where to aim. And now we've got tons of women who can hit 200 with the 16. And so now everyone's trying to go a little bit farther and maybe trying to do that with the 20. So slowly as a group, we're all going on to the next thing, which I think is super important. Even though we're not all close to each other, you see what people do in competition and it just motivates you to keep working at it. Um, And so now we have a bunch of new people who have, you know, tried a competition setting for the first time. And now we get to reflect on, um, you know, where they are and where they can go. I think it's not so much about how you did as, as opposed, as opposed to setting the baseline and then figuring out where do we go from here. And you don't really know how to get there unless you know where the starting point is. And then you can, Mm -hmm. um, start to create that uh, roadmap. Um, one thing that I got into, I have a couple of coaching books and, and one thing I started to get in the habit of doing is after going to competitions, you know, we'd have like a post competition dinner and, um, we as a team would sit down, uh, myself, Rachel, and, uh, sometimes one or two other people. And I, and I'd ask everybody, you know, how, how did you feel about your set? Um, what do you think you did well? What do you think you didn't do so well? Um, what do you think you need to improve on and just get them to really think about, um, their experience and reflect on it and maybe think actionably about, uh, what they're going to do from this point. And, uh, I think that's something that's pretty time sensitive. You want to make sure that, you know, it's still fresh in their mind and, and get them to talk about that while it is. And while they're still kind of uh, pumped about uh, the whole thing, don't let that um, that energy dissipate. Try to get it while they're still kind of motivated there. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It, it was, one of the things I liked was uh, one of the other athletes commented on seeing one of her teammates, his facial expression when he finished his set and how he was blown away by what he just accomplished. And for one athlete to catch that experience in someone else's face, I think is key. And what I took 
from it when she was sharing that with me was she was proud for him and happy for him, but it also gave her a like, uh huh, I understand like this. And, and she was feeling the same thing because this was her first experience as well, but it was exciting for her to see it in her teammates and to see like the joy and the pride that they were able to accomplish what they were able to co- accomplish up there. Um, that was something that I, I definitely noticed um, on Saturday at the in-house was, uh, I mean, obviously I, I try to be, as a coach, I try to listen to everyone. I try to, you know, let them know that I kind of care about what they have to say and who they are and all that stuff. Um, but I was, I was very much taken aback at, at how into everything um, the people were. I remember back at that, that, not this in-house, but the in-house before I think it was. Um, where one of our lifters, uh, she was expressing to me kind of like how her whole body was like all tingling and stuff after her set and, um, and her heart rate was up and she was just like, her eyes were like massive and she was just like so pumped and so excited about what she just did. And she did like something like, you know, over 200 reps with the eight kg for the snatch. And, uh, she was just really pumped about that. And, um, and those things kind of stick with you as a coach. And and this last one, uh, one of our male lifters, uh, who uh, I've been giving him some programming to do on his own. Uh, he's not always around. He he'll often take these uh, these road trips and such, and he'll do his program. He has a couple of kettlebells, and he'll do his program on his own. And um, and it's really shown. And even his physique, he's been so consistent with it that yeah, um, he's, he's dropped weight. quite a few pounds. Um, and he's just been getting better and better and better at all these movements. And he's looking so much more comfortable. And he put in a 16 kg snatch set. Uh, he did a 12 kg long cycle set and they jumped in on 16 kg long cycle in the relay at the end and just very competent throughout the whole, um, uh, uh, in-house and, uh, but particularly after his snatch set, he was just so engaged and, and so excited and so pumped and, and, uh, and uh, he just couldn't hold still. It was uh, it was quite fantastic, and especially for someone who's you know a, a bit older. You know, he's a bit of a silver fox now. And he even said, like, athleticism is not his thing. Like, his thing is arts and music, and uh, he's done very well for not being someone who did physical activity on a regular basis prior to this. Yeah, well, and he listens well, and uh, and he he does his homework, as you would say, yeah. and uh, and it definitely shows. He's made tremendous progress um, for not being here as often as some other people have been here. He's he's definitely come very far compared to some others who maybe perhaps aren't as into it as yeah. he is. So um, so that was awesome to see. And then another one of our female lifters, she did like a 50 rep PR in her snatch. That's huge. <laughs> yeah, she, it was like 162 at our last one. And then it was tw- uh, 213 with the AKG at this one. And uh, same thing. She was just so super pumped about it. But she said how easy it felt. Um, and she only comes like once a week. Uh, but um, she does have a kettlebell at home, and uh, and I have given her some workouts to do, uh, pr- particularly when she hasn't been able to make it. I'll just like send her a quick thing through a text and be like, do these things. Um, and she does it. So, I, you know, and I think, I think that, um, I think maybe that brings up a, 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 
a something to consider. You know, just because someone can't be here all the time doesn't mean they're not capable of making as much progress as uh, other people. But you do need to, as a coach, um, you know, uh, extend that that helping hand and and give them those help give them those resources because maybe it's not that they don't want to be there or, or make those improvements. You know, sometimes they just can't. They don't have the time or don't have the resources or or whatnot. But uh, people are capable of some amazing things if you just um, give them a little bit of help there. Yeah. So uh, I, I think that there are some... Now, okay, before I get into some other things, so what else did we do at the in-house? So... Well, we had food and stuff for people. So we had like popcorn on the judge's table and we... Well, Panago brought us pizza, but Sully... Sully is an amazing cook. I do not cook. I am incapable in the kitchen. Um, but he had protein muffins with protein icing, and we had <laughs> uh, hummus and veggies and tuna and crackers, and there was a bowl of fruit, and there was water out there. I think that was everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just the, we also want to – we partially do it to say, say thank you to our clients, like – we would not be successful without them. And like they think they're successful because of us. It goes both ways. And we want to show that gratitude to our um, clients. And, and the same with our staff. Like We've got one staff member, and he came out and volunteered as a judge. And it's the same thing. We want to be able to say thank you because we honestly can't do this on our own. We try to do the majority of it on our own, but we can't. And we need the, those people. So... We want to show our thank you by being encouraging and by having little treats and having these fun events and stuff. And uh, so obviously people had their own um, rewards of going up there and doing their best. But uh, I also felt it necessary to um, make some uh, personal comments, certificates. Oh, yeah. Uh, for people, uh, specifically for uh, achieving rank numbers, um, I didn't want to like give out stuff for every single little thing. But uh, you know, if you made rank numbers, I wanted to make sure that you knew that and that you got something nice for it, and something that I think for me just would illustrate my appreciation and and pride in them for achieving that. So. I did make up some fancy schmancy certificates that that if they got ranked if with they got bell. ranked that you know had their name on it and said uh, what rank they got and, and we based it on the IUKL standards so we used their ranking tables and then just gave the ranks out based on that yeah um, and I don't think that everyone really necessarily uh, understands at this point what the ranks really mean or stand for or how useful they are but you know it was just something that I could do I remember you know the my first, first competition it was it was cool to get all that stuff the certificate and the medal and all that jazz and uh, I think if you've been participating for any you know lifting for any period of time that, as long as we have then you have quite the collection of certificates so um, I think for me, I wanted to try and take that step to be the first mm-hmm. and make that imprint on them. 
Because um, a lot of them, this was their first experience of a yes. competition. And for that reason, I think it's really important to make those certificates really, really nice and really professional. And um, I didn't really do it this time around, but I think in the future, I think something that might be good for you to do if you're going to do something like that is, you know, put some words of encouragement or maybe a, a, a mantra or a quote that means something to you that you think that your lifters would benefit from in particular. Uh, at the end of last year, 2017, we held an awards bank. Well, technically, we held it in January. Yeah, but it was um, based on 2017. Yeah. And I gave out five certificates to my lifters. Uh, these were athletic awards. So we had um, team spirit, coach's choice, uh, outstanding athlete, rookie of the year. And there's another one that I'm forgetting. Uh, coach's choice. Oh, most improved. Yeah. And um, for each certificate had their own little blurb on kind of why they were receiving it. Uh, so a little bit of customization there that just would kind of show, you know, that you, that you thought about, you know, this thing that you were giving them, that it wasn't just, you know, medals are great, but you know, a medal is a medal is a medal is a medal. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can kind of attach maybe even an emotional component to that, um, through, you know, the, the thought that you put into it, then I think that's really you know, that that's important, I think. Well, and I think, yes, this is our work, but um, Silly and I are both emotional people in different ways. Oh, but we let me, like- let me build on that for a second before you get into that. Um, the other thing that prompted me to continue with the tradition that with the certificates that kind of started with the athletic awards banquet was how some of the feedback that I got from those certificates was, you know, people said they were going to like put frame them or put them on their fridge or stuff like that. And, and that just kind of stuck with me. It, it showed me that cause I wasn't really expecting all that much, you know, I wanted to kind of do my piece and then, you know, if people cared about them or not, you know, whatever, let the chips fall where they may. But, you know, there was good feedback on them receiving those and, and they felt like it was special to them. It was encouraging. It, it, motivated them to only want to do better and it motivated me to continue with that tradition Mm -hmm. so based on well and kind of sully's comment kind of builds on what i was going to say um we we very much care about our clients but we it's not always easy to say as as probably the average person you you don't go around uh (laughs) 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 we don't go around every session and telling people you're amazing um well, and then it starts to get old, right? If I tell you you're amazing every single training session, you're just going to be like, well, I can't do everything perfect. Let's I, li- be I like to balance the the amount of kudos with a certain amount of... Sarcasm and picking on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I got that a lot on Saturday. Um, and oh, whatever. You were... Tr- <laughs> I was tripping You're going back. slow, Sully. Come <laughs> on, you better catch up. Um, but anyways, <laughs> this, this is kind of our way of like, we might not say it all the time, but this is our way of saying it to our clients and just letting them know. And uh, yeah. 
Was that your idea to have everyone clap and like, yeah, no, when I walked in? I actually, you missed it. I had said to the group, I had been away and you literally had done all the work for this in-house by yourself. So I was like, don't say thank you to me. Say thank you to Sully. And then you walked in conveniently right when I finished. So then they all started clapping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure my expression was gold. <laughs> I was like... Okay, shut up so I can start talking again. <laughs> he doesn't take compliments very well. Um, so, so we did the certificates, which were like a pain in the ass to print out. Just because they were time consuming. Well, I wasn't entirely sure how much I wanted to, to kind of finalize in the computer before printing them. That's kind of, kind, of, kind of why I left that to be printed on the day. But um, my suggestion is to make sure that you have them all printed out and ready to go. Uh, well, in competi- like when we ran our competition, we did. Um, we just didn't this time. Yeah. Um, I think, or because you wanted to only print how many you needed, I would say like print X number, and then while you're filling those out, the rest can print the remaining that you need. Yeah, that would have been good. Yeah. Good. But... Uh, yeah, so um, that took a, a while. Yeah, but people got to know each other. People hung around, they ate pizza, they chatted, they shared kettlebell stories. Like, I kind of interrupted a few times as I walked through the crowd. Um, but it was good. People were getting to know each other, and that that's a huge thing about kettlebell sport. It is hugely built on community and people supporting each other. So it was great that that's how they were all hanging out and stuff. And it's not unusual to have like a post-competition dinner that's arranged by the organizers, but um, sometimes that can be a little bit intimidating too. It's like that idea of, you know, going to a party and you know you don't know anyone there and then you decide not to go type thing. So... um, Reflecting now back on it, since you just mentioned that whole thing about people getting to know each other, I think it's not a bad idea. If you're going to run an in-house, to specifically um, set it up so that uh, you can create a, uh, a scenario where people kind of almost have to engage with each other. Um, so basically, when, when I came back in, I was like, okay, you know, we've got some food out there and stuff. I just got to print off everyone's certificates. So uh, you guys have time to schmooze and schmooze, schmooze and uh, eat uh, while I do that. Um, and I was hoping it was only going to take half an hour, but I think it took almost an hour to do, to get everyone's printed out. Um, which is, again, a pain in the butt. But, uh, yeah, it was very valuable in getting people to get to know each other. But I I think what I liked more about that, personally, is the fact that people uh, from our club got to know the people who came in from out of town. Yeah, that too. Because a lot of the people, you know, not all of our clients cross paths, but, um, you know, for the most part, they already all know each other. They don't know each other, you know, amazingly well. But it was nice that, you know, they got to see people who, you know, aren't even from here lift, but then also get to talk about them. And the fact and I expressed this to uh, b- uh, both Rod and Pat uh, and Dave, who came down from Victoria, or I guess I should technically say came up from Victoria. Um, you know, the fact that they're as experienced as they are, I think, is really good for our, our clients. Um, and coming back around to that idea of, you know, 
seeing what's possible by seeing someone else do it first. Uh, that was another thing that I expressed I felt was really important, the fact that they came. And and you could hear it in the crowd. Like when Pat was up there lifting the double 14s um, and she was total Terminator mode, uh, I that was really inspiring to some people, and you could hear it in the crowd. Yeah, oh, definitely. Like, um, as, for a lot of our women, like, I think, well, after the last time we did something, we had more double bells uh, happening because of that. Like, or because um, they went and watched the OKC meet or... Uh, participated at the OKC meet, and they're like, you know what? I want to try double bells. Um, so it kind of mixed it up a little bit. Um, some of our lifters still love single arm. I'm one of them. Um, but it, it seeing other people do different things is helping the clients kind of choose where they want to go because you don't have to do single bells because I like single bells. Do what you want. I can lift a single bell beside you while you do doubles. So it's encouraging for our clients to see what other lifters are doing and not just base it on what Sully and I do. Um, when we look at some of the different types of rewards that you can offer your clients, um, we can break those down in three categories, things like tangible rewards. So things like trophies, medals, ribbons, uh, decals, or decals, uh, athletic letters, apparel, and then there's things like people rewards. So there's more the more social aspect, things like praise, smiles, High expressions fives. of approval, pats on the back, also publicity, um, which is not something we'll get into today, but uh, I, I think probably deserves its own conversation, and just a, general expressions of interest. And I think that comes uh, with like getting to know some of the other lifters. Um, activity rewards. So this can be sometimes things that uh, fall into more like the off season as well. So doing games instead of drills, um, maybe just extending your sessions or maybe even shortening them up, depending, you know, changing things up to respond to uh, how people are doing with uh, with the training and the, and the in season. Well, and that's even like we're doing the pentathlon next month and that's to change it up. So we're still going to have a fun event, but it's not going to be a competition. Well, it is a competition, but a different kind. And there's differences inside of um, just the uh, kind of the, the, the face value of that. So uh, in our traditional competitions, you, know, you got 10 minute sets and at most you might do three um, events unless your Rachel was a hot dogger and did like five. I was trying to support my teammates who were on the platform by themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that's 30 minutes of work and, um, but you know, 30 minutes of generally max effort work, right. You know, you're trying to do as, as, as best as you can. Um, whereas the pentathlon is going to be 50 total minutes of work. So, or well, no, five, it's five, five. I guess now well, it's 25 minutes of work and then it's like another 25, uh, another 30 minutes of rest. Yeah. Because you're alternating. Yeah. So, but the, the format in and of itself is going to be a, a lot different. But we're also getting more strength-oriented movements instead of strictly the uh, quick lifts, the ballistic lifts. So uh, there's going to be different demands. And so there are differences within just um, changing it from our traditional competition format to the pentathlon. Um even changing roles is good to to mix it up. Like we had Josh do some judging. Yep. 
he he was awesome. He was a huge help. He cleaned up. He judged. He lifted. Um, and then again, specifically for the off season, playing some different sports or doing some things different. Like even in classes, sometimes I throw some running in there, um, but we don't do it often, usually because raining all the time. Um, but it's even like the Hercules Weightlifting Club. Every summer they do this like fun like little track day where they like throw kettlebells and they do long jump or high jump or whatever. We missed it last year, but well, they um, didn't do it last year. No, the oh right, it got canceled. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's just another team building event. Yeah, so these are all things that I think are important to try and figure out ways to incorporate into not necessarily the day-to-day, but you know, fit it into your yearly schedule. Figure out ways to implement these types of rewards um, because as much as you know, you as a coach or maybe a more experienced athlete knows that you don't necessarily need maybe those extrinsic extrinsic rewards and you see the value in the progressive improvements um in the beginning it's important it's definitely important because you want to get that ball rolling but then you got to keep it rolling you got to build some steam and and create buy-in because maybe not necessarily all of your people are completely invested um and i mean obviously we're not a religion and we're trying to convert people but you know, I think just just about anybody can make this type of activity or uh, regular um, weightlifting activity or, or strength-oriented activity a regular part of their routine and an important part of their routine. I don't think it really has to be a substitute for other uh, things in their life. I think it can be just as important as other things and uh, and not interfere with those things in a negative way. Mm-hmm. So keep your people motivated. Engage with them on a regular basis. Give them good feedback. Don't reward the performance. Sorry, don't reward the outcome, but try to reward the performance. Try to reward qualitative aspects. You know, help them get better at what they're doing, not necessarily get more reps or et cetera. Because I think any uh, coach worth their salt knows that if everything looks good, then the numbers will be there. Yeah. Right? Uh, and then on top of that, try to give them those regular periodic chances to uh, update their perception of where they are, where they stand. So the in-houses are great for that, right? They can have that opportunity to test. And I didn't mention this, but leading up to the in-house, our program was geared towards preparing them for the in-house. And um, the other thing that I noticed is that for some of the people who've never prepared for a competition before, didn't really realize that that's what they were doing and didn't really realize that, um, their training was leading that their, that their training would ensure that they would do well, that that's how that works. This idea of progressive overload or, you know, sports specific training that's designed to be progressive. Um, and so I think the more that we can get people to understand that idea of progressive overload and progressive adaptation, the better off they're going to be. And obviously, that's the, that's that whole side of motivation and, and keeping that ball rolling and uh, and momentum that we kind of understand as athletes that we need to, to make sure our people do as well. And then 
you know, after the in-house, make sure that you show your appreciation either through, you know, social engagement with the other lifters um, and then also those extrinsic rewards, which are nice, like those tangible rewards, ribbons, medals and stuff like that. Try to give them give them something that's uh, of, of a bit more tangible substance that they that's also a visual uh, and tactile reminder of of you know how they did or what they did. Well, and I think too, um, part of the reason people are your clients is because of who you are. So, um, Sully and I definitely have different personalities. Therefore, some clients work better with Sully, and some clients work better than me. But um, spending that little extra time with those clients is part of the reason they're going to want to with you like in training and outside of training um and i think just spending that little extra time of saying man you did amazing today like you hit a two pr but i really noticed an improvement in your overhead stability um that i i don't care about the numbers like i remember when i saw linda start to change her swing and it was starting to look more like she was thinking about how she loaded and unloaded her backswing. I was like, someone's been practicing. And she was like, uh, she said something like, um, I was, uh, I stole it from somebody else, or I was watch. I've been watching somebody else. She was implying that she was watching my technique. Um, but yeah, I'm more blown away when I see those, those, active changes in technique, then the the numbers don't matter to me. Chances are the reason that you're getting the numbers that you have right now is the technique that you're using right now. So when I see a change in technique, that tells me you're thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you're actually listening, which is huge, right? What? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so this is... uh, been um a nice reflection on uh saturday and uh it definitely was a lot of fun we certainly recommend that um you get on running these things if you're not already whatever sport or or however you run your business try and find a way to incorporate some form of fun days fun days and it definitely was a fun more than anything else obviously it was like a quote testing day uh although i never referred to it that way but um it was more just a fun day. And to talk about fun days, May 5th is Pilates Day. So we are doing... <laughs> Sully's like cheesy. Um, we are holding uh, Pilates classes on May 5th. Right now we have two classes at 8 a.m. and 10.15. We might add more if there is demand because I'm only taking eight in each or five in each class because it's a mat class. And participation is a donation to Big Brothers and big sisters and we're just gonna have some fun doing some pilates and do some fundraising yeah right on um and you can find out more by um you can email me at info at return to form.ca and contact me at sully at or you can uh yeah sully at ballistic strength.ca uh, i also accept emails at podcast at ballistic strength.ca Um, And make sure you visit the podcast website to check out some of the older episodes and uh, maybe you can find something on there that you like that might uh, help you out. And don't forget iTunes and Google reviews. Yes, get on that. I need them. (laughs) Rankings and and such. Anyways, have a great day and we thank you for listening. Bye now.